Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. How about it? Happy Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. And welcome in to the Gabe Coon Show. I am your host. Former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman Gabe Kuhn on X at G underscore Kuhn 71. Alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show, that would be uh, Connor Dunning on X at C Dunning 929. He has uh, just gotten done with two hours with Mark, with Jeffrey out. I'll tell you why Jeffrey's out in a second. But uh, we're going to give you a, a respite for the third hour of today's show. Sound good? Thank, thank you. That works. But you're yes. doing well, though? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Good to hear. Now, we have three hours to talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. I'm going to open on the Ravens. 24-game preseason win streak snapped. Playoff intensity last night for preseason. Joey Sly stepping up. 29-28. The Commanders end up winning. But I did have a takeaway from that game. And it has to do with a quarterback for the Washington Commanders that has been named the starter, Sam Howell. I was uh, thoroughly impressed. Also on today's show, we have a uh, Danny White, Tony Elliott beef. That's that's fun in itself. Danny White, of course, the AD at Tennessee. Tony Elliott, the coach at Virginia. Tony Elliott says he got offered the job at Tennessee and turned it down. And Danny White says no. We offered it to one guy, and that was Josh Heupel, my guy from UCF. Josh Heupel's done a great job. Looks like Danny White's trying to save face a little bit. We'll t- discuss that. And uh, have some somewhat happy positive, maybe overly positive, depending on where you fall on this, overly positive Tiger football news today. ESPN Analytics did their predictor, and the Tigers and the ESPN Analytics predictor are going to be represented in the AAC Conference Championship. 10-2, and 7-1 is what they're being predicted at. Only wow. loss in conference is to SMU, according to ESPN Analytics. So that in itself, very positive. But yeah. you know, reality does hit quick. So we'll see how the season how the season looks. By the time we get to sort of that uh, that fourth game of the season when they play Mizzou, I think we'll start to see if that's going to be possible or if it's not. Also, James Harden's fined a thousand a hundred thousand uh, dollars. 
for speaking up on his situation and calling Daryl Morey a liar. And uh, throughout the show, we're going to have Jeff Calkins, 5 o'clock, Jeff Calkins show and Daily Memphian columnist, and 6 o'clock, Christian Fowler, after a week off. After a week off. He was at the beach. Lazy. Yeah, a little lazy. He'll probably brag about the weather when we talk to him. But Christian Fowler will be at 6 o'clock, as is customary on a Tuesday on the Bluff Pod. Came out today. Me and him are co-hosts on there. Find it wherever you get your podcast. Full to, full video version on YouTube. And then Apple and Spotify as well. Then the Blitz around 6.30 per normal. I'll give you my takeaways from week two of the preseason when Connor gets out of here and Brad takes over for him. And uh, also, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey spoke up yesterday morning about his thoughts regarding the 12-team playoff now that the Pac-12 is all but folded. And he says that the circumstances have changed and we need to reconsider the format. What does that mean for the 12-team playoff? I'll tell you that and what I think once we get to the Blitz. Now, first, I have to say a massive congrats. We need a round of applause where a round of applause is due. Shout out to Jeffrey Wright and his wife, Aaliyah, bringing in a baby girl today. Seven pounds, five and a half ounces. Josephine Sadie Wright has been an addition to their family. So shout out to Jeffrey, Congratulations man. Congratulations to them. Pops. Yes. We, we, awesome. have, we have a new Pops. That's awesome. In the, uh, in the office. Are we, on, are we on the clock now, Connor? We're the only two left. Yeah, I, we were talking about it on Giannato and Jeffrey. I forgot that, that you were childless as well. So we're the only two left. The walls are closing in. Okay. Everybody around me is having a baby. I'm not kidding. Everybody around me. Is having a baby. I mean, it's not a it's not a requirement. You don't have to have children. I want children. I want children. Yeah, too. I want yes, children. So. But the the baby fever starting to hit cat. I think so. It may be soon. Yeah, I've been with Taylor for eight years. It's been it's it hit a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's been you know, but uh, getting married in about a month and some days. So we'll see what happens. But we are we're the last two. We're the last two. So we'll see what happens. It'll be fun to it'll be fun to follow along, huh? Storylines here at ninety two ninety ESPN. Yeah. Yeah, there's, cause there's not many out there today, so we can make this one. <laughs> there's not a lot, but uh, I did uh, enjoy Monday Night Football last night. Yeah, it was and, a good and, game. And the, the new crew, the new crew with Scott Van Pelt as the uh, as the host. That was that was cool. Obviously, they were in studio mostly. They weren't really on site, but that that was I, I, I enjoyed the whole broadcast. First time to see that, uh, but the game itself was. I mean, for a preseason game, that was playoff atmosphere. 29-28 Commanders, Joey Sly has the game winner. John Harbaugh had an impassioned speech after the game talking about how much they, t- how much pride they take in it and how much he didn't enjoy the Commanders speaking the way they did. Sam Cosme, one of the guards for the Commanders, said that uh, they were going to break the streak. They, he was right. They did end up breaking the streak, but he said it doesn't matter and they shouldn't take pride in it. But ultimately, we know the Ravens take pride in uh, – in their in their preseason games, my big takeaway from last night though, Sam Howell is good. That is a good ball player. Nineteen for twenty five, one eighty eight, two TDs. I think they really have something, in, in Sam Howell. And obviously, Eric Bieniemy sort of used him like he used Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs. I'm not saying he's the same talent, but he let him get off kilter, get out of uh, uh, harm's way, use his pocket uh, presence, his pocket awareness, his escapability to make plays downfield. They dropped back 25 times in a preseason half. That should tell you something about how he wants to use Sam Howell, and I think they have a run game that they can lean on with Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson. Like That is there for them. But Sam Howell, I, I, I think back – to 2020 after that season and how highly he was thought of coming into the NFL. 
That was a guy I looked at as one of my favorite prospects in the 2022 draft. Obviously, he fell to the fifth round like most of those quarterbacks. There's only one uh, first-round quarterback. That was Kenny Pickett. I'll talk about him later in the show when we get to my preseason notes from week two. Um, but there's only one first-round quarterback. A lot of them were round three. Sam Howell was round five. He fell in the 2022 draft, and I think it was kind of unfair, Connor. Like, looking back at it, after 2020, he had a great season. They were 8-4 and four at North Carolina. He had Javante Williams, Michael Carter. Uh, he had Daz Newsome, who's in the NFL, and he had Deami Brown, who plays for his team right now. So they had four pros on that offense, and he was great. I mean, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country at that time. Now, they lost all those guys going into 2021. They ended up 6-7 and seven in, in, in 2021 going into 2022 before he was about to get drafted. But he still had good stats. He ran for 830 yards. He had 24 TDs to 9 interceptions. But he didn't have the same level of talent around him. He had Josh Downs, who was drafted this past year. But it feels as if this was a guy who should have been a first-round pick that fell down or, you know, day one, day two pick, first three rounds. But he fell down to the fifth round because of team success. And I always find that strange. And I understand that you want to see a quarterback win. You want to see that guy affect winning in a big way. And six and seven does not give you that impression. But I just think back to how he played that year. He was the redeeming quality of that entire team. Had a freshman offensive line. The defense was one of the worst in the ACC. And yet they still won six games, and he still had great stats. It's strange how the rest of the NFL, and really I think the, the commanders fell in this too, only taking him in the fifth round, he fell down draft boards because of team success. And I don't find that overly fair in this day and age. If you, if you are having success on the field, if you have good statistics, you should probably still be thought of very highly. And he was thought of after that 2020 year with all those pros as a first-round pick. I've seen the discussion a little bit today about Trubisky may have scared people off just because that didn't really work out. North Carolina quarterback, kind of the same type of deal. Do you give any no. anything to that? No. No? I don't. Mitch Trubisky <laughs> didn't play as many games as Sam Howell in college. And quite frankly, statistically, Sam Howell beat him out. Sam Howell was better than him when he was at North Carolina in a lot of different ways. Now, Mitch Trubisky is taller. He's got maybe a bigger arm. You know, he's athletic as hell, although I did see a lot of athleticism from Sam Howell last night. I was impressed with, with how he's able to move around the pocket. And I guess there's some thought with North Carolina quarterbacks that scared him off, but they've had a good run here. After Sam Howell, it's Drake May. Drake May is going to be a first-round pick. I, I, I don't think Mitch Trubisky should have scared you off. And, like, when we look at quarterbacks that may have not had a lot of team success, think of Patrick Mahomes. He was never they, – they, those Texas Tech teams were never good. No. They were all miserable. Yet he still got picked, and you look at what he's doing in the NFL. He's he's matching the statistics just about, um, you know, in lockstep of what he had under uh, under Cliff there at Texas Tech. So like I, I just find it strange that a guy like Sam Howell fell down so much. But I I, I was impressed as hell with him last night. He, he he looked very good. Absolutely. How much credit do you think? Eric Bieniemy deserves though for the performances that we've seen out of Sam Howell because he's had a, he's had a really good offseason or a preseason I'm sorry so I mean he looks like a different quarterback out there it seems like he has he's playing with this level of confidence that he didn't have before so it just feels like the whole vibe around the Commanders is just so much better than it was last year because they got rid of that dark cloud of yep. of, of Dan uh. Snyder like getting rid of that it seems like it is it has brought some hope back 
to the commanders and their fan base. Yeah, and Josh Harris is a strange cat, isn't he? Yes, he is. In the booth yes, with Troy dude, and Joe. That was Joe so Buck talks funny. with his hands, and Josh Harris shook his hand mid-conversation, thinking that Joe Buck was extending it, and then Troy Aikman was losing it. What? Losing it. <laughs> he was it. laughing his ass off. I would, too. That seemed like one of those situations where the owner, he didn't, I don't know if he realized he was going to be on camera, yeah, and he may have been drinking a little bit, and by the time he got there, he was like handshake. It's just you should have known you're going to well, be on camera off, on Monday Night Football. It's the first time they've run Monday Night Football. Who's offering you a handshake in the middle of a conversation on TV? That happens at the end of a conversation or at the beginning, not in the middle of it. Josh Harris, <laughs> as much as he's better than the than the last regime, <laughs> like he's better than the Snyder's. A rock I, would be I, I better gotta than the say, Snyder's. I got to say, I don't think he's aced his first couple of months on the job. No, no. Yeah, I mean, the he was, he's still using thing. the Redskins name. Yeah, that's he's trying tough. To, and he's saying, well, I'm trying to recreate what we had way better. No, you, you don't have to use a Redskins name to do that. Now he's listen. He's just a, clearly an awkward fella. The last 20 years or so of Commander's football, you don't need to try to recreate. You need to start anew. You yes. got to start anew. Build build the new era of the Commanders or whatever name he's going to change it to. He's, I highly doubt that they're going to keep the Commanders. But it is nice to see that they do have some hope there. Yes. That fan base deserves some hope. Now, you get some hope in Sam Howe. Hope gets taken away because Terry got hurt with that yeah, curve toe. I, he should be all right, though. Yeah, it seems like a lingering injury, though. Seems like it's something they're, to linger they're, around. They're but, but tricky. x-rays and MRI all clean. Listen, just gonna just gonna be one of those things that lingers. Being in Memphis, we know that toes they stay around. That that injury will not go away. A, a couple Grizzlies have dealt dealt with something, you know, different sport. But those toe injuries are no joke. I mean, with with respect to how I feel about preseason games, I think there's a double edged sword. If you play somebody and they get hurt, everybody says, "Why the hell was he in?" If you don't play somebody, you get to week one and they stink. They say, "Why wasn't he playing?" Terry McLaurin probably had no business being in there at that time. They had to win the game, Gabe. They had to win the game. They had so. to break that streak. Hang the banner. Hang, Hang the, the banner. banner. But Next I, to the banner that says I, no more Dan I, Snyder, break the Ravens' preseason too, streak right I'm there. I'm not going to go too hard, but Terry McLaurin probably did not need <laughs> to be in. But you know what? Hey, there's some pride there involved. I get it. But they have some They have some decent weapons. Obviously, Antonio Gibson caught a TD on a Texas route last night. That was fun to see. Former Tiger get that done. But Terry McLaurin, if he can be solid and, and, and you know, Work through that injury throughout the year. We know what he can be, and this may be his most stable quarterback situation he's had since he's been with the Commanders, which is strange in itself. Jahan Dotson had five catches for 76 yards last night with uh, with Sam Howell. He's a guy they took in the first round. Like he he could he could certainly be something. I, I like what they have. I like what they have, but that is a tougher division. That's the hardest division in the NFC right now. The NFC. East. Well, that- you have to deal with the Eagles and the Cowboys, and that's just not that's not fun to. It's not fun to have to deal with that's, uh, two times a that's year. That's what I was going to say. I feel like if they were in any other one, they would have an outside shot at the playoffs this year. But it seems like that they are just unfortunately. Are they? Do you against the Giants? Where do you? Where do they stack up in your opinion? Like, would you take the Commanders over the Giants? I take or the, the Giants. Giants. I would slightly. I, the though. Giants. I feel like. Yeah, I feel but, like it's close. But, but then the Eagles and Cowboys are. That's another leap to get to I, them. The Giants have a good defense, and they added Darren Waller, and they have more that they can potentially throw to on the Saquon's outside. Back. Saquon's going to be back on that on that deal. And Daniel Jones was good last year. Like, I'll give him credit for that. You have to see it recreate itself. Hyatt's going to be good. But, but isn't that – yeah, and Hyatt, yeah. I mean, he had a, he had a TV in his first – He's going to burn. He is. He's fast as hell. He's so fast. Um, but Daniel Jones, that's my one question, right? Can he recreate what he did last year? And I, I have a lot of hope with him being able to do that with Brian Dayball. I think Brian Dayball is one of the best offensive minds we have in this league. What he did with Josh Allen 
I mean, they drop back and throw it a whole bunch. Last year, he relied on the run game. And, and he is the example of sometimes you have good coaches, sometimes you have great coaches. Good coaches, they have their system. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. They get people to buy into their system and they make it happen within their system. Great coaches take what they have in their personnel and they alter their system to make their personnel better. And I think that Brian Dayball has done that in a big way with the Giants. So I, I have a lot of hope for what the Giants can accomplish, but they're going for it in a lot of ways. I mean, they have spent a lot of money, and uh, they, they, they have kept some of their young guys and extended them, Dexter Lawrence being one of them along the defensive line, and, of course, Daniel Jones being extended. I, I, I would put the commanders at the bottom of that division, but they could be sneaky. They could be very sneaky to some of those good teams in that division. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm just I'm I'm getting the itch. Like I had a draft last night, hard yeah. knocks tonight. How was your draft? Good. I think it was good. I hear, I, I need <sighs> I need to ask. I need to ask this question. Okay. I, I, it's a 12 team draft. I walked out with some major players. I got Eckler, who okay. might be running back one. I got Garrett Wilson, AJ Brown, Keenan Allen. Those are my first four. I feel pretty good about that. Keenan Allen has to stay healthy, but sure. Now, I had to go Dak. I was in a situation. It was Dak was the only one available. I had to take Dak Prescott. That's I'm, well, I'm would, worried about I that. I wouldn't be worried about that. that I, much. I think he might have a good season. But the, what Health. got me is because of the 12 team draft, the running backs got taken very quickly. I decided to go wide receiver heavy, but well, I ended up my my RB twos. I got two. It's it's Brees Hall and David Montgomery. I need one of them to pop off. Honestly, i got to start rooting against Alvin Cook now. Big fan of him, but I need Brees Hall to emerge as, as the guy for that job. He's going to start the season slow yeah. probably, but by the end of the year, I need a playoff push, Brees. Playoff push. So I'm feeling good. i got the Dolphins D. I'm feeling good. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't feel bad about Dak, though. No. Dak, Dak has, he's, a, he's, he has an opportunity to he's be got a an really opportunity. good statistically. It's just I talked a lot of ish about Dak on this show last week. And no, then I had no to that's draft fine. Him. That's fine. Like, it was more he, He's the in the most pressurized situation as a quarterback this year, but at the same time, he's, he's added himself. Brandon Cooks. He's got yeah. C.D. Lamb. That's what I he, kept he seeing. He can throw to guys. Michael Gallup's still there. Like he's got some uh, the ability to put up big stats yeah. this year, but he's got to stay healthy. Well, I mean, the past two years he hasn't. He hasn't missed that, five games. That's last my year. worry. That's my worry. I did grab a. Uh, I did grab C.J. as my backup though, just in case a little C.J. Stroud action. Okay. Maybe see what they got going on down there. <laughs> that, that, he's never going to play. He's, he's never going to play. Collins. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted Anthony Collins. Richardson. He got snagged. Yeah, see, that that in itself is probably, I mean, if you're picking between C.J. and Anthony Richardson, that's you're at the bottom. I got this. It was like the NFL, or no, not the dwelling. NFL draft. It, it's, it was like it was flipped. Yeah, um, but Dak, I don't mind. I don't mind that. Now, uh, did anybody take Baker? Baker Mayfield named no, the Bucks starter finally. <laughs> he has finally been named the Bucks starter after a battle with Kyle Trask that is just unbelievable to even think about. Number one overall pick, and Kyle Trask, who was a walk-on at Florida, who who was great. It was great with uh, Dan Mullen that 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 final year. Um, Baker Mayfield finally beat him out, and they finally have named their starter. So that is that's good in itself. I don't expect much from him. Although he will be throwing to Mike Evans, he's still got him, Chris Gott. I mean, they still have some talent out there, but it's just not – there's no feeling around the Bucks like 
the feeling we've had about them the past two seasons. It's gonna Tom be a it's gonna be a rough year. It's gonna be. Rough. I will say for Baker though, at least he has Goodwin and Mike Evans that he's throwing to. He, you know, he's got some weapons on the outside there that can at least make him look pretty good. I gotta ask, do you think that Baker has a shot to become the new Fitz Magic, like that type of career? He can just kind of float around. He's the he's the stopgap QB. You're not going to win anything big with him, but you also may not lose a ton. He's just this is his middle. last. This is it feels ditch. like this is the route that he this, needs to go. This is the last ditch effort for him to be a a cut above that. Yeah. Oh, a cut above. A cut above. Okay. If he if he if this team goes seven and ten though, he that's who he is. I it's feel like written. seven and ten is not a bad season for the it's Bucks. Written. I, well, I'm just saying, if he goes six and eleven, like that's it's all written. It's written in the stars. Yes, that's that's who he's that's who he's bound to be. He's got to grow a beard up for a long, long time. Hey, yeah, the beard and throw on some chains. He's got the dance move. He's got the personality to get it done. Yeah, he's toned it down though over the years. I think he's been humbled a lot. Baker Mayfield coming into the league had that edge about him. You know, going to the Browns, number one overall, he felt the type of way. He felt like he was bound to be a superstar, and now I think everything is caught up to him, and he's he realizes he has to work for everything he's going to get in this NFL. Listen, it, it's a tough beat when you have a public beef with Odell Beckham Jr. and his father, and then it is pretty clear that they were right <laughs> pretty yep. immediately when Odell goes to the Rams and is an impact player and wins a Super Bowl. <laughs> it's it's hard to hard to bounce back from from losing that. Like it's it's hard because Baker like expectations is the number one overall. Overall pick always hit different. Yeah, and then I think he's a fine NFL quarterback. I just don't think he's exceptional. It's, I don't think he's exceptional. If he, he was not, he was never going to be a franchise changer for the Cleveland Browns. Now, did he get them to the to the uh, playoffs and win a playoff game? Sure, he did. But he was never bound to be a franchise changer for anyone. Now, this is his last opportunity to do so. We'll see if he can do it with the Bucks. I feel like he was one of those players, and it, it, we see it all the time. Sometimes you get drafted by the wrong place. And getting drafted by the Cleveland Browns and having the expectation of bringing them to the promised land, number one pick, Heisman winner, all of that stuff, it just felt like going to the Browns, it was a bad situation. Like, the, it's just... Every single quarterback that goes up there, I feel like, just goes to die. Even Deshaun Watson. Deshaun right Watson you know, looked he's, bad. He's even looking bad, too. It's like Brissett's the only one that looks decent up there. Yeah, it's strange, too, because like the Browns this year, this is one of the more talented rosters I've ever seen the Browns have. You have Nick Chubb. You have David Njoku, although I'm not fully sold on him. Amari Cooper. Elijah Moore got traded. Donovan Peoples-Jones has been a, a good red zone threat for them defensively. They've added a bunch. They have one of the best o- offensive lines in the country, or in the, in the NFL. But Deshaun Watson's going to have to make that thing go. He's going to have to show what he showed with the Houston Texans for them to reach any type of goal that they want to reach. Because I think, like, I feel like their floor is very low, their ceiling's very high as well. It's hard to really get a feel for what they're going to be because you don't know what Deshaun Watson's going to look like. Last year when he finally got in after that suspension, he looked miserably bad. Yeah. And that that's a problem. And Deshaun Watson, you <laughs> gave him... Five years, two hundred thirty million guaranteed off of all he came off of. This is a make or break year, not just for Deshaun Watson, but for that entire Browns organization. Recovering from a bad Deshaun Watson contract, if he is bad this year, will be sort of a death nail for the next four. Yeah, well, it's it's going to be tough for them because they got the Bengals and the Ravens to get past, and the Steelers. You know, they're going to be scrappy enough to where they might give you some issues. It's just. To be, that division it, is very it's tough. It's very tough. It's a very tough division, and I think that there are two teams that are clearly better than them. And, like, even even outside of the division, 49ers at Seahawks, 
Like that's not that's not fun to have to deal with. Um, you'll be at the Broncos, at the Rams, have to deal with the Jags. They have one of the tougher schedules in the NFL coming up this season, but they have the talent to win. It's just uh, Kevin Stefanski. Can you make something happen? Draw some things up for Deshaun Watson. Can that run game stay the same? Can your defense at least be serviceable top half of the NFL? But the Browns are just in that peculiar situation of, hey, I think I have a win-now roster, but can it actually win now? <laughs> can it actually work for me on the back end? We'll see. We'll see. Now we need to get to our first break of the day. When we come back, ESPN Analytics has put out their uh, predictions for how they think the AAC is going to shake out this year. And the results, I think, will surprise some. Around here. I'll get to that when we return on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM, ESPN. Talked about it several times, but I think a lot of fans in this city when it comes to Memphis football are in wait and see mode. And for, for the right reasons. Transfer portal, a lot of new faces. Never seen them produce in a Memphis Tiger uniform. You wonder what the O-line's going to look like. Is the defense going to be better? I get it. But ESPN Analytics has put out their season predictions for the American Athletic Conference, the new look American Athletic Conference. And let's just say ESPN Analytics favors the Tigers in a big, big way, as well as SMU. The order of finish that they have is SMU, Memphis, Tulane, UTSA, FAU, North Texas in the top six. And with that, they have Memphis running through the regular season, 10-2, and two, making it to the AAC championship game and taking one loss in conference the entire year, and that's the final home game there against SMU. You themselves, and then they'd run back at SMU for the AAC championship. I understand that this is a super positive outlook on what this team may look like. But ESPN Analytics has a method to their madness. They really do. And one thing I've talked about with the schedule, yeah, you're not going to understand a whole lot about this team through Bethune, Cookman, really Arkansas State, a short week against Navy. Those three teams, all you want to see is them build some confidence and you want to see those playmakers that they've brought on campus start to make plays. And you want to see if that defense can, can really do some things, handle their business. But when you look at how this schedule truly plays out, let's leave out Mizzou for a second. These home games are favorable. You get all your tough opponents at home. Boise State, Tulane, SMU. So I think ESPN Analytics looks at 52-9 and nine since 2014 for the University of Memphis when they play at home. They see some of the home opponents, and they seem to favor the Tigers, even against good teams, because they're on their home field, Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. But 10-2, and 7-1 and one in conference, only loss being to SMU, and then meeting SMU in the AAC championship is what ESPN Analytics has predicted. And I do think there's a massive range for what this team could be this year. Sign me up. Sign me oh, up. Oh, hell that. yes. Yeah, can we make a that, deal right now? That, uh, we've talked about the landing fourth in this conference, what they were picked at, at, at media days. We've talked about that not being a good spot. It, it's sort of the same as you've been the last two years, just sort of treading water, you know, 
uh, seven and five, maybe eight and four finish. You don't really get people on board if they go ten and two, seven and one in conference, only loss being to SMU. I think that everybody's back on board, back on the train, ready to go. There's butts in the seats. You don't have to beg people. You don't have to uh, convince people to get back into the Liberty Bowl. I think at that point, you realize the momentum is back. Without a doubt, because it, it really, I think you kind of nailed it where, you know, there are reports that this Memphis team is supposed to be better than the ones that we have seen the last few years. It really seems like that defense is going to be able to step up in a way that they haven't been able to in the past. But there are so many question marks on the offensive side, not necessarily just because they were bad, but it's because we don't really know who these guys are. You know, it yep. feels like a lot of newcomers come in. We know Seth Hennigan, but outside of that, you know, I feel like the average Memphis fan wouldn't be able to name all of the new transfers that Toski they have coming Dove, in. Toski Dove, Demir Right, like, right. Yes. And, you know, it's just – so I think that I'm really excited. You said that we're not going to figure out anything really those first few games. I, I actually think that we might. You know, hopefully we can get some rec- name net recognition throughout the fan base yeah. with some of these guys, see what they can do, and that can help build excitement. But if you go 10-2 and two this year, I think everybody's back on board. It brings – especially with this ticket promotion going on, the, the win ticket promotion, if you make a run and those home games are free, those butts are – people are going to show up. Yeah, and again, like I – I think there's an added value to really showing uh, to showing up in 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 the stands this year. I think again, I know that a lot of people are not all that excited, but with realignment spinning the way it is, Connor, I just feel as if we talk about the on-field product matching sort of that that level when we're talking about power conferences. You want to be in a power conference, you want to be in the haves, not the have-nots when that potential breakoff happens. Right. I feel as if yeah, the on-field product has to be worth its value. It's got to be worth its salt. You have to show that you are that good. But I think there's a, an added element here. The fan base has to show it as well. Like, if you need a, an extra added reason to show up to Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, it's because you want to show, with all this realignment happening, that you have power conference crowds, that you have that ability to fill out a stadium even when – you're playing the likes of the Tulane's at home, the SMU's at home. The, you know what I mean? You have to still show your ability as a fan base to show up when things aren't going all that well. Absolutely, and that's why this feels like such a big season for the Memphis Tigers. It's not just because of the internal discussions about Ryan Silverfield and if the program's going in the right direction and all those things. When you look at it from a, a zoomed-out perspective, it's is Memphis good enough to be in these conferences? Yep. Do, they need to prove... Why they need to product, be in these conferences. Yes, you show value with on-field product, but I feel as if a fan base shows their value as well right. through, these, through, through a year like this. Can you show up? Can you show out? Can you give them a, a, a good home crowd every single time out? Because that shows the growth potential with a place like the University of Memphis. And, and, you know, based on the news yesterday, it seems like the University of Memphis also understands that they need the fan support this year to really give them a boost. Yes, well, that's, while also not forcing the fans to pay for tickets. That, and you know, I think there's an understanding behind the scenes, like the people I've talked to in the athletic department. I think I think there's an understanding of there's only one way you fix this, and that's through winning. Yeah, that's that's what you have. to Winning do. cures all, and that's why it's a win together promotion. You're trying to show the fans, hey, we want you to be along there. If we have a good product, we want you to be there. We want you to be, even if it's free by the fifth game, even if you're paying, you know, ultimately six home games, sixty dollars. $10 a game, we want you to be there, even for a low price like that. So I think there's an understanding of, of what actually cures this, and that's on-field product. But I think the fans, in the end of the day, there has to be an understanding that 
if you want to get where you want to go in this day and age of college athletics, the fan base has to show up too. Absolutely, without a doubt. And I think making the fan base feel like they are a part of it with the win together is such a smart move from the University of Memphis because it's easy to get people to buy into something that they feel like they are a part of when they they feel like they have a group, they have a they have people that are with them. It's you know I, I'm really excited. I just I really hope that the first few games go well, that this win together promotion at least gets to the Boise State game, at least gets to the Boise State yep. game. That's my hope. Yeah. Now. Um... As far as 10-2 and two in conference, according to AAC analytics, I think that's sort of the peak of what we're looking at this year. Yeah. I mean, 8-4 and four is the baseline of what I think needs to happen. Like, when we talk about games that are losable on the schedule, if you want to get where you want to go, SMU, Tulane, Boise State, Mizzou are the fair ones where I could look at and say, you can lose those games. But I don't think you should lose. Losing all four of them does not help you get people back on your side. It does not help the fan base get excited about anything. You have to win a couple of those games. But I think 10 and 2, uh, 8 and 4 to 10 and 2 is sort of the trading range I have for this team. Would you agree there? I think so. Yeah, we, we've kind of talked about that. It feels like that that eight win is where, you know, at least the hot seat would cool down a little bit. So I feel like that eight wins is almost a must, I think, for this team this season if you want it to be successful. You can. You can kind of talk yourself into seven wins being progress, but in reality, I feel like that we would be lying to ourselves if, you know, seven wins is, hey, good season, seven wins, it's one more than last year. You got to get to eight. You got to get to in, eight. In this AAC, seven and five is six and six. Yeah, agree. Very much thing. so. 100% agree with that. Same thing. And eight and four, I, again, if those four losses are against the best teams on your schedule, that's not going to convince anybody any differently of what you've done the last two years. You have to start winning these games. If you want to take yourself seriously, you have to beat an SME. You have to beat a Tulane. You have to beat a Boise State. You have to show your value that way. And they haven't been able to get over top in those games. They've been close. They've been close. Now, last year against Tulane, they dug themselves that massive hole and came back in the second half and made it a seven-point game. They lost by three to SMU. They've been right there on the precipice. But get over top. Win. And then I think the fan base will be there with you. Now, um, also – Today, um, speaking of sort of local college football, we have Danny White and a little bit of beef going on between him and Tony Elliott, the coach at Virginia. And this is kind of strange. Tony Elliott did an interview, um, and he talked about how close he was to taking the Tennessee job in 2021 when Josh Heupel ultimately took it. He said, first of all, obviously Tennessee is, in my opinion, one of the Blue Bloods, one of the top-tier programs in the country, but he talked about not taking that job when it was – supposedly offered to him. Now, Danny White, via Twitter, the AD at Tennessee, says, interesting, don't remember offering. Ignored this the first time, can't do it again. An interview doesn't constitute an offer. Interviewed several candidates, offered one, and he's talking about that being Josh Heupel. And I guess the first time he's talking about it was a Chris Lowe report back in the day where Chris Lowe said that Tony Elliott had denied taking the Tennessee job in 2021. I am. Uh, I'm going to ask this question: Who's telling the truth? Or do they both have their own truth here? Who's telling the truth here? To be honest, I don't know why Tony Elliott would put it out there that he was that close to getting the the Vols job if he didn't have some reason to believe that. I feel like it's one of those situations. I don't know why he tell it to here, the press. Here's what I'll say: I, I am a Tennessee football fan. I don't really remember Tony Elliott being discussed a ton. Like I feel like he may have been early, but well, it there felt was like, like there... Heupel was like kind of the guy. 
it, because especially with the with the connections to Danny White, I I may yeah, just block all, that out of my memory. There have also been I will also say this: there have been so many coaches connected to the University of Tennessee in the last decade. Your I, head I, spins. I, my yeah. head spins. So I may have just forgotten that he was involved. What I think may have happened was they probably had a meeting. It probably went very well, and Danny White may have said, "Hey, we're going to consider you." And that I wonder if that was like. A job? Was there a job I, offer? Was there maybe a wink, wink? Was there, you know, kind of a, a hey, you're the guy? A, yeah, like thing. you're maybe you're the guy. If we can't get our guy, or I, I'm not sure how that conversation went. I don't, I don't think that Tony Elliott's lying. I also don't know if he's telling the. I feel like it's somewhere in the middle, like between yes. these. I think these two I guys. think both guys have a reason to believe what they're saying is true. Agreed. Yeah, I think yes. both of them think they're right. I yeah. think Danny White, though, is more on the technicalities and paper trail. Agreed. That's why I, I think I Tony agree. Elliott uh, heard some things at the time right. saying, yeah, I'd probably could, I could get the job if I, I wanted it. I feel like there was a pathway to him getting the job if he had really wanted it. As much as I know what you just said about you know Danny White coming from UCF, going to Tennessee, having Josh Heupel right there, it made sense. I remember that job and how the opening went and how their interview process went. There were a lot, it felt like... As, as, as has been the case with a, with a few Tennessee uh, coaching openings in the 21st century, really since 2010, it felt like there was some strikeouts before they landed on Josh Heupel ultimately. Because there was a lot of questions about Josh Heupel taking that job because he hadn't really shown that much at UCF. Well, because after after Scott Frost left, they, they t- not a tumble, but they didn't reach the peak that, that, oh, that no, Scott yeah. Frost left behind. Right. So I, I, there was, if I remember correctly, if my memory serves correctly, that Tennessee coaching search did have more than Josh Heupel involved in it. I'm sure it did. I, I think what I may be remembering, though, is that when the job became— First off, it was such a mess. Yeah, oh, that job, hell it yes. was It was awful. The, the program, it was like a— You know, Butch Jones threw a grenade into it. Pruitt dropped dropped a bomb on it. Like it was, bomb. it was just, it was horrific. By yes. the time he left that program, so which is I impressive also, as hell that Josh Heupel's been able to do what he's been able to do. Very much so. Um, I wonder if what I'm remembering is that I we always kind of knew as a fan base that if that the worst that it would be is hypo. If that, if that makes any sense, like yes, yeah. At the end of the day, if these guys strike out, they're going to get hypo, and we can talk ourselves into that. That might be what I'm. But remembering. there were but there were other names like Tony Elliott at that time. Don't forget, like Clemson. Clemson was rocking. That was that yeah. was that was a real candidate for a lot of jobs and listen, out there. Hey, Chris Lowe's not in the business of being wrong. Now here is the here's the kicker for me though. Especially with Tony Elliott, with what he's saying about it being a blue blood program and one of the best programs in the country, you wouldn't turn down Tennessee and then take a Virginia job. You know what I mean? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I understand he took it a year later, but you wouldn't necessarily turn down that Tennessee job. Maybe in the in well, the in the in the state it was in at that moment, you felt like you couldn't turn it around the way you wanted to, right? But well, the, at the same time, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to turn down a, a job at Tennessee and the SEC with all the uh, the collective they now have, with all the money backing they have, and then take a job at Virginia. Sort of, the, you know, yes, a good academic school, but as far as football is concerned, not a, I mean, it's a middling to lower tier program in the ACC. I think it's less risky. I think it, it you know what I mean? Yeah, like for, the, for less pressurized. Coach, less yeah, pressurized. Much less pressurized. And I just think Tennessee. But, at that time, that job, let me, I, it, you had to be a lunatic to take that Let job. me ask this, though. At that time, I, I know Tennessee's always pressurized and definitely more pressurized than Virginia. But I felt like any hire that Danny White made at that time, 
I felt that it was going to be a little less pressure because, damn, you're taking over for Jeremy Pruitt. This is in, I mean, we're in a ridiculous spot right now. We had to fire him with cause. Where We have the NCAA sanctions that could come down. I felt like there was going to be some leeway if you did take that job at that time. Obviously, Josh Heupel ends up taking it, and we're looking back at it. But there was going to be a little bit more leeway than normal just saying, okay, this is the Tennessee head football coach. Sure. I think there was also a worry that a hammer was coming from the NCAA too, though. Yeah. So that you had that hanging over the program as well. It's just to be honest, I if I were Tony, I wouldn't have taken the job at Tennessee. It's at the time that job felt like it was one where you were going to be hired to be fired and you were the coach before the coach. That's what I think people thought that Tennessee job was at the time when Pruitt walked away from it because you had to build it from the ground up. You just you had to. There it was completely gone. It was the pat, everything about Tennessee football was everybody had transferred out. You have door. to get transfer well, portal in. Listen, he's he's, 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 he's he's done what he's done for Tennessee. But Philip Fulmer did not know what he was doing. Yeah. He didn't know what he was doing as the AD either. So there was just so many question marks around that program and things that you had to rebuild. Somebody that wants to get into head coaching, I'm not sure that's the job you want now, to take. First. Let me say this: as much as, and this is sort of off the off the beaten path of the discussion we're having now. As much as Josh Heupel's done a great job, and the offense is prolific, and they've improved defensively, they bring in, they brought in some really good high school recruits, really good transfer portal recruits. The new age of college football and college athletics as a whole, the Vol Collective, Spire Sports Group. That has changed their fortunes just as much as any coaching change has. Absolutely, because they're they're right there at the top of the SEC when it comes to influx of money and being able to use NIL to their advantage. Well, and we I think we also need to be completely honest about it. Hendon Hooker changed things. Yes, he did. Hendon Hooker completely changed the outlook of those Tennessee football teams. If he was not on that team, I don't think we would be having the discussions that we are about Tennessee football. It's he, strange though on the back end, Joe Milton now back in there, and everybody has high hopes again. Even he's though got he, a cannon, he, game. Well, but yes, he just, <laughs> he just throws five yeah. yards too high. I was just saying, it may go into the third row though. <laughs> That's at why. times like his 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 first year there at Tennessee as the starter, inserted as a starter by Josh Heupel. There, I mean, he was not as accurate. And no, Hendon Hooker was clearly the better quarterback. No, he, he's got a cannon though. He's got a cannon though. It's you know, I feel. I'm cautiously optimistic about this upcoming season. It's it's going to be it, can Milton get it done? Can he, he's stepping into some pretty big shoes? The biggest thing about Hendon Hooker is that he took care of the football. You always could trust him. He wasn't going to give it up. He wasn't going to give the other team extra possessions. He was going to take care of the ball. He was going to get you points. He was going to keep it calm. I got to see Milton do that. It's, yeah. it's going to be a well, very we saw it. We saw it against Clemson season. in the bowl game. He's got the potential. Like I said, he's got a cannon. He's got the potential. He's got a relationship with Heupel. Hopefully, you know. What's nice is you well. still have. Really good running backs. And their defense is good. Uh, Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, still back there. Brew McCoy, still there. Ramel Keaton. Uh, you bring in, I mean, your your old line is still solid. John Campbell Jr. is going to step in at left tackle for them. I believe he was at the U before. Uh, you still have Cooper Mays as your center. Like, they still have some things on the offensive side that can happen. And I think if Joe Milton doesn't work out, which I, I, I expect him to work out this year. I, I think, I think he's, he's, gonna he's have gotten a good to sit year. back and understand yeah. what's expected of him. Nico Amlevea is sitting there waiting in the wings. And that gives, no matter what, no matter how this season goes, that gives Vol fans hopes for the future. I can't wait is to a see five him play. Star. I can't wait to see him play. Yeah. Now, speaking of, uh, speaking of other quarterback situations around the country, we do have a couple of uh, starters named. We have DJU named at Oregon State. I think he'll have a better good year. Good for him. I think he'll have a better year. All he has to do is turn around and hand the ball off, let Oregon State play good defense. Jonathan Smith, their head coach, has them going, and they're, they're hard-nosed. 
they're hard-nosed. DJU and his arm, yeah, it'll be relied upon, but not as much as relied as it was relied upon at Clemson. So I, I, I like that. I think that that is uh, one of the many reasons to believe in the Pac-12's quarterback play this year. Michael Penix, Bo Nix, DJU, Cam Ward at Washington State, Shador Sanders at Colorado. I mean, just keep going down the list. Caleb Williams at USC, it's ridiculous. So he, he adds to that. And then also, here's another fun one out of the Pac-12, Jaden Rashada. True freshman, if you'll remember, his NIL deal of $13 million fell through at Florida. So he ends up getting let go of his national letter of intent. He ends up with Kenny Dillingham, a former coach of mine at Arizona State. He, as a true freshman, has been named the starter at Arizona State. And I honestly think when you're a head coach, and this is similar to the Nico Amalavea thing I was just talking about with Tennessee, New coach, Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. They've had some bad years. They've had some big issues through COVID and everything else with Herm Edwards. Throwing in a guy like Jaden Rashada, I don't know what he's going to look like in his freshman year. I don't know what Arizona State's going to be. I know they've done really good in the transfer portal. Kenny Dillingham's a good recruiter. But it buys you time to put in a five-star, all-world recruit in his true freshman year at quarterback. That buys you time from your fan base, buys you time from the higher-ups in the athletic department because you have somebody that creates excitement, gets butts in the seats every single week. So I think this is a good move by Kenny Dillingham. Yeah, uh, we, we talk about it a whole bunch, especially with, I mean, we've talked about it with Memphis football. If you're going to have a tough season, you got to at least sell some hope. Yes, and I think that Arizona State's doing that. Drew Pine, though. Drew Pine from Notre Dame, that's cooked. I guess if Jaden Rashada doesn't work out, you can rely on him. He's got some experience at this level at the very least. That's such a tough – But that's He's a tough experience. Beat. I mean, that's that's tough, though, for Drew Pine to transfer out to Arizona State, be the you know the guy with experience that you think you're going to be inserted into a, a power five – you're going to be a power five starter as soon as you get to Arizona State. You're not. And a true freshman who's only been there for some months at this point beats you out. That's not fun. But I, I guess that – Arizona it tells a story State. in it, of itself, it, though, doesn't it? it? But it does tell a story about Arizona State and, and Kenley Dillingham. He's gotten in there, and he wants to think about the future. And I remember there was a time, you know, Paxton Lynch's 2013 year, how bad he was, people asking for the piano man to play. Sometimes you have to uh, – Jacob Karam. At sometimes, as a coach that takes over, you have to worry about the future more than you worry about the now. And I think that's what Kenny Dillingham is latching on to. Justin Fuente did that when he got here with Paxton Lynch. He knew he had something in him. He knew it was going to take some uh, some time. He had to see the live bullets in games. He struggled in 2013, but 2014 he was better for it. And I think that's what Kenny Dillingham is hoping happen, hoping happens with Jaden Rashada. It's not dissimilar from what Memphis did with Seth Hennigan. It, well, well, that was injury. But it was still like bad seasons. Seth! There was some injury involved there. He's the bright spot. He's yeah, that's he's the true. hope that they could sell. Yeah, but like last year it was like last year it was they couldn't get it done in the fourth quarter. But the next year we we got Seth another year. We're going to surround him with some more talent, and we're going to see what we Seth can do. Seth getting put in there as a true freshman was simply injury, though. Grant Gannell had the Achilles injury, and they right. could never sort of recover that. So they had to go because Grant Gannell had three years worth of uh, worth of. Uh, eligibility left. So you figured you could sort of redshirt Seth and then move forward from there if you didn't have to play him his first year, but that didn't work out that way. But there was some hope involved with that. But I think Jaden Rashada is a five-star. I think that's a little different. 
than even Paxton Lynch, for that matter. He was a two-star who ran the damn wing tee in high school. It's a, it's a different thing altogether. But I, I think when coaches decide they want to plan for the future instead of the present, this is the type of decision they make in that moment. Right. So that's, uh, that's worth noting. Now, uh, what's also worth noting is Jeff Calkins is next. We'll do that right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.